First Thessalonians chapter 3, I'm reading verses 1 to 10. Our focus this morning is on verses 6 to 10. So hear the word of God. Therefore, when we could no longer endure it, we thought it good to be left in Athens alone and send Timothy, our brother and minister of God and our fellow laborer in the gospel of Christ to establish you and encourage you concerning your faith that no one should be shaken by these afflictions. For you yourselves know that we were appointed to this. For in fact, we told you before when we were with you that we would suffer tribulation just as it happened, and you know. For this reason, when I could no longer endure it, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter had tempted you and our labor might be in vain. But now that Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love, and that you have always have good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us as we also to see you. Therefore, brethren, in all our affliction and distress, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. For now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. For what thanks can we render to God for you for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before our God? night and day praying exceedingly that we may see your face and perfect what is lacking in your faith. And there is the inerrant word of God as the grass withers and the flower fades. This is the word of God that endures forever. One of the things as a pastor that I've often had to do is encourage parents in the raising of their children I haven't had too many who have never come to me and said, you know what, pastor, I never have any trouble raising my children. They're just so well-behaved and obedient. I have no problems there. Usually they're coming and saying, you wouldn't believe what the week was like and how weary I have become. Pastor, help me uh, to endure these things. And and, and always undergirding that is the concern of the parents. What are these children going to be like? If they can't behave in my home, what are they going to be like out in the world? And those are real concerns that many have. And if I could encourage you, and I've often encouraged parents in this way, it's not a 100%, of course. It's like the Proverbs. They are principles of life, but under the sovereignty of God, They don't always apply to all of us all in the same ways. But this is something that I have observed, and I want to encourage you parents, that for all the struggles that you have raising your children, you will find you will have those struggles in your home as long as they're living with you. But it's more being attentive and listening to what other people say of them when you're not in their presence. Because I've often found parents come back and they say, I can't believe how well-behaved your kids were. They were so respectful. And so you don't necessarily think that that's happening when you're not around them because you don't have that oversight. But your efforts bear fruit. And, and it's that fruit that you don't always get to see, that sometimes you get to hear about, that, that is being worked in them. In the grace of God. That same struggle is true for pastors and churches. 
Paul's expressing some of that here. John, the other, another apostle, he, he wrote in 3 John chapter 4, that third letter that most of us find very obscure and different. But he does write this, and he's writing to the church. And he's saying this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. 3 John 4. I have no greater joy. Now that's quite a statement. A joy to hear that my children, that is, the work and the labor that he gave in building up churches and building up uh, believers in the faith, to hear that they're walking in the truth. To hear that. It cheers the souls of a parent when you know your children are being faithful. But it's a long struggle to that end, isn't it? Same as similar, very similar to the church. Paul here in in chapter 3 is conveying that same joy. He was worried and concerned for this small church that uh, upon its inception was faced with a heavy, difficult persecution. And, And you can't help but relate that to the parable of the four soils where Jesus talks about how there is often a springing up of joy in people's hearts when they hear the good news of the gospel and you start to see that plant growing, the seed is growing, but the tribulation and the trials of the world come in and they choke it out so that there is no fruit born and you can't help it. Imagine that that was going through Paul's mind. What's happening to that church? Are they a people in whose heart the seed was really planted? Were they hearts uh, made good by the working of the Spirit so that that which has sprouted is continuing to grow and bearing fruit? I can tell you that's a pastor's concern all the time. Are they growing in the grace and the knowledge of Jesus Christ? We worship every Lord's Day. We have two services every Lord's Day. We hear a lot. We sing a lot. We pray a lot every Lord's Day. Does that bear fruit in your life? And Paul here upon hearing the news of Timothy, you look at verse 8 and what is, does, does he say there? Paul states, now we live if you stand fast in the Lord. Isn't that a strange way to say Our joy is full as we see you continuing on in the faith. But that's what he's getting at. It's just like a parent who can say at the end of the day, I can rest knowing my children are safe, (laughs) even as they're out in the world. Well, that's what Paul is, is communicating here. Standing fast in the faith and how that brings life to the labor of the gospel and wondering. Sometimes you get to that place wondering, is there any fruit to these labors? It's hard. It's it's hard to to sense that, that kind of growth. And here he's being encouraged. You know, one of the things to always realize with a lot of Paul's letters is there's a pattern to them. And in 1 Thessalonians, being one of his very early letters, uh, 
expressing a lot of affection he has for the church, really sets that pattern where in the first half, up here to chapter 3, he's really uh, wanting the church to understand the quality and the character that a church is to reflect before the world to the glory of God. We haven't really encountered a whole lot of those other types of of instruction from the word that we love more. We're going to get to them in chapters 4 and 5. We're, we're told what to do. <laughs> we, we like those kind of passages that give us instruction. Tell me what to do and I will do it. But Paul n- rarely begins there. What he does in almost all of his letters is he starts by saying, here's the character, here's the quality, here are the indicatives of who and what you should be as God's people. So that we know that this is showing to us the work of grace that has been begun by God so that we are resting and trusting in the grace of God alone and not in our works and doings. And and here he he comes again. We, we've covered many matters concerning this. Uh, uh, enduring persecution. Churches, you're, one of the qualities of being a church of Christ, you're going to face opposition. And, and what you need to learn is to live joyfully in the face of that opposition. Church of Christ, you are to be genuine and blameless in the ministry of the gospel. And you are to be a people of faith, hope, and love in Christ. And, and, and so much of his letter up to this point has been focused on, on showing these things to you, which are the signs of the work of God's grace. And, and we encounter another one of those signs, and that is standing fast in the Lord. As he says there, if you stand fast, you know, he doesn't set it as an imperative. He sets it as a quality. You, Church of Christ, you need to stand fast in the Lord. You need to be firm. And what that word really means is to persist together in the Lord. Not independently of one another, but together as God's congregation, you stand fast in the Lord. And that's to make us keenly aware of the struggles that we will have as a church of Christ to continue on in faithfulness to the Lord. Our great struggles as a church are similar to our great struggles as a believer, and that is not to be wavering in our faith. Particularly, as he says there, in all of our afflictions and distresses. Verse 7. When, when we are facing opposition and persecution, when we are facing the torments and the distresses of the world, one of the chief things that we begin to wonder and question is, is our faith right? Is what we're doing right? Is our message right? Are these things the way we're supposed to be going? Are we responding properly to the world around us? And, and a lot of times when we, we encounter those strugglings, those waverings, we start to find ways in which, well, we, we don't receive so much opposition. Uh, we start to find ways to compromise so that it's a little easier to get along and to get by in the world. 
And, and Paul is saying here is that, that because you're facing opposition, it's not a sign that you're doing something wrong. It's a sign that you belong to another kingdom. And that the kingdom of this world is, is in antithesis to the kingdom that you now stand in. It's, it's an axiomatic response. Stand fast. Stand fast in the Lord. And it's God's encouragement to us today. Just as Paul writes this in a very personal way, what we see in in these verses, first of all, is that when he calls them to stand fast in the Lord, it's a continue on with a faithful ministry. Continue on with a faithful ministry. That's one of the first things that he speaks of here. And and it's subtle. Again, it doesn't jump out at us. But in verse 6 there, he says, Timothy came to us from you and brought us good news of your faith and love. Now you might think, how does that translate into a faithful ministry? Well, that very phrase, good news. Everywhere else, Paul uses that in all his other letters. He, he, it's the same phrase that he uses in is translated, preaching the gospel. Now that's, that's the word that's used there. But what he's getting at here, he is saying, we see the working of the gospel in your life, that it has brought forth faith and love. There's a faithful ministry that has met you in the gospel. And, and it's showing its impact in your life. This faithful ministry of the gospel that is bringing out from you faith and love. And like Paul says, it's good news. Good news at work, but good news working in you. And it's an interesting way to commend a church. When we think of ministry being faithful... We often want to look and see the fruit of that faithfulness of ministry, don't we? And, and how does the church world today factor about the, the, the fruit of a faithful ministry? Well, we look at numbers. We look at uh, increasing. We look at meeting social needs. We look at so many other matters that seem important to Church growth. And and when we see that, we look backwards and say, because of what we can see, that means this ministry is faithful. But Paul doesn't begin there with the fruit. He begins with what makes for a faithful ministry. And that is the nurturing of faith in Christ and love for one another. You look how many times Paul has already expressed the issues of faith and love. What we see is your faith in Christ. What we see is your love for one another. And this is a testament to a faithful ministry. John Calvin said uh, of, of this passage, he says, Paul uses these two words, faith and love, so often as they comprehend the entire sum of true religion. Faith and love. 
And, and this faith that he's speaking of here is, is a faith that is nurtured in the Lord. They're standing fast in the Lord because they believe him. And in the faces, in the face of trials and suffering, it is their faith that is holding them up. Can you say that in your own life? How many times the scriptures tell us that the just, that is those who have in Christ been delivered from their sins, those who in Christ have a righteousness covering them so that they are accepted by God, those who are justified, forgiven and accepted by God, how do they live? How do the just live? We live by faith, not by sight. We live by faith. And that is that saving faith. You ever wonder why we're always striving to bring the message of the gospel to a people who are saved? Because that's how you need to live. (laughs) Your faith in Christ is the foundation of your life and all that you are from here on out. That saving faith that has brought peace with God in your life. Romans 5.1 is that faith that continues to carry you. We stand by faith in the Lord. Any time when you feel the weight, the face of trials and suffering and persecution and opposition from the world, where do you turn? Do you you start looking and saying, maybe I'm doing something wrong? Or do, do you turn to Christ and just say, Lord, you are my Savior. Deliver me from this. I stand In you, help me. There's a difference, isn't there? And when you are being nurtured in that faith, you are able to stand in the Lord because you know and you experience that peace with God that that passes all understanding. That saving faith is what Paul would say in Ephesians 6, quenches the fiery darts of Satan, when he would strive to diminish in your heart any uh, love for God or any desire to worship and to seek God. It is that saving faith in Christ that becomes a foundation of strength for you. You are in the Lord. What's one of the greatest promises that he makes to you who are in him? If he is your Lord and Savior and you have heard the Savior's voice and he has called you and drawn you into his atoning sacrifice and bestowed upon you a righteousness that is not yours and said, you are now forgiven. You are now accepted by God. You are one of my redeemed people. What's the greatest promise that he makes to you for the rest of your life? John 10, 28, 29. There's nothing that can what? Snatch you out of my hand. Nothing. You see, that that faithful ministry is nurturing that truth in your life. So that when the fiery darts of Satan come and meet you, you can stand in the Lord. Firm, persistent. It's a faith that lays hold of God's promises. It's very interesting when you read Hebrews 11. That it, it, it gives us that hall of faith of many men. 
I don't know about you, but when I read the number, the, the different names that are there, uh, they're names of people that it's easy for us to look at and, and to see more of their faults than their godly character of faith, isn't it? We see that. Jephthah, Samson, David, Moses. And, and while we know that they, they were men of God whom the Lord used, Scripture does bring out the evidences of their faults and their failings. Abraham considered the greatest man of faith. Believing God, leaving uh, the idolatrous past of his, of his fathers and, and following the Lord into a strange com- uh, country and, and not inheriting the promise but believing in them. And, and, and every time when you read about Abraham in the Old Testament from chapter 12 up to uh, chapter uh, 22 at least, Every time God speaks of that promise, the very next thing we read about Abraham is him doing something dumb and sinful. And yet, what is keeping them? The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. Their faith in the one who has said, I am your shield. I am your reward. And faith that saving faith lays hold of that promise of salvation that God has accomplished for us in the Lord Jesus and again makes it clear to us there's nothing here that can separate you from his love. That's a faithful ministry that nurtures you. And while we may not always see the fruit of such, our confidence is in God who is ministering in greater ways than any words of a man. A faithful ministry is one that is ever seeking to nurture your faith. It's not one that is focused on, on, on meeting social needs or, or growing in numbers to that extent. Those other matters that are so important in the eyes of the world but one that is foremost seeking to nurture your faith in Christ. And it doesn't seem like it, 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 it uh, has much fruit in the beginnings. But what did Jesus say about that seed that is planted? It, it's small in its beginning, but as it grows, it forms into this tree in which becomes a blessing to the birds of the air, it, it, it grows into something rich and full. And the other part of that faithful ministry is that it not only nurtures faith, it nurtures love, a nurturing love toward one another. And Paul is going to go on to expand that on that in chapter 4. But it, it's a faith that, that is met with the love of God that begins to work in your heart, teaching you as a church, to love each other as a testimony to the world that, that you are Christ's disciple. And again, it's a distinguishing mark of the church before this world. You know, one of the greatest and saddest, the greatest saddest things that can happen in church is schism, division over things that so easily can divide us. 
We can grow unfeeling in our hearts towards one another. We can be spiteful and bitter to one another. We can, in all of these ways, show the, the world around us in our affections for one another. And, and, and a faithful ministry needs to be attentive in constantly reminding us of the words of Jesus How this world will know that you are his disciples is how. By your love for one another. Because you are seeing each other in Christ. That's why so often in his letters, Paul is directing the church. And you go to Ephesians 4, for example, and you see that when he talks about uh, not grieving the spirit in Ephesians 4.25 to the end. He comes and he talks about how you need to be guarded in how you speak to one another. The corruption of words that come and do so much more damage. And again, this is part of a faithful ministry reminding you that you are here to love one another in the name of Jesus. To lift them up in not only in your prayers but in the encouragement that they need. From your gifts, your service, all of this coming together to build everyone up. As he says at the end of Ephesians chapter 4. To build one another up in what? In love. Loving one another. You know, we again do not realize how self-centered we can be as Christians. In our wants and desires and in what we're expecting from the church often focused on what we want or what we don't get. But a a ministry that nurtures you to love, to give yourself over, the building up and edifying of others is a faithful ministry. I, I know I'm not saying anything that you don't already know, but that's the point of these words. This is the constant theme that we have to be brought back to every day. I've said this before, but I will say it to all of you again. You do not realize how diminished it feels when we are called together as a congregation of the Lord to worship Him together. How diminished it is when you do not join with us in your presence here. Because You've been added to this church by the Lord for the purpose of building us up together in love. And the sharing of your faith in worship is one of the greatest things that the Spirit of God uses to build us up in this faithful steadfastness in the Lord. And when we're absent, you stop and think about how many times you're absent from worship and the reasons for it. It's not hard to see how selfish they can be. And, and we, have to, we have to look at this and say, am I seeking myself or am I seeking in love to build one another up? A faithful ministry brings you to that. And that ministry is founded on a meaningful ministry. Again, I'm going to say things that are well known to you, but being steadfast in the Lord is not about a church trying to mimic the world. It's not about a church uh, accommodating the world or following traditions of men. It's about a church that is 
being faithful and persistent in those means of grace that God has given to you to build you up in the faith, to build you up in the love of Christ. Of all the ministries that a church can have, what do you think are the primary meaningful ministries that establish faith and love? And, and again, what I hear often, and I, I know this, this steps on toes, but I hear often it's pure fellowship. And no, it isn't. The primary meaningful ministry that a church is to be given over that establishes faith and love are those basic means of grace, the ministry of God's word, prayer, and fellowship. You might think, well, Pastor, I think the word should be sacrament. But but it's fellowship. It's fellowship. And, And Paul expresses that, those those aspects here in in commending this church at Thessalonica for for their faith and love and their steadfastness in the Lord. If you were to take your hymn book and turn just to the back to page 856, our Confession of Faith, and and you look at, at chapter 14, on saving faith, page 856. Just look at that very first article. So, chapter 14, article 1. The grace of faith, whereby the elect are enabled to believe to the saving of their souls, is the work of the Spirit of Christ in their hearts, ordinarily wrought by the ministry of the Word, by which also and by the administration of the sacraments and prayer is increased and strengthened. That God has already set in in his word that that truth and that promise that he will build you up in your faith and in your love and establish you as his word is ministered to you, as prayer is had, and as we come together in fellowship uh, through the sacraments, but in, in the bonds of fellowship in Christ. And you see him speaking about that. In all your afflictions and distresses, verse 7, we were comforted concerning you by your faith. You stand fast in the Lord. Because his word is, is, is there building you up. You think how many times Paul has already mentioned uh, the, the place the word of God has had in their life in chapters 1 and 2. And that ministry that's there. For you every Lord's day. God wants you to be strong in him. As you're hearing his word. He's promised by his spirit to work it in your hearts. To increase your love for him and your love for one another. To grow you in grace. To grow you in knowledge of Christ. And the challenge always is. What is the word of God working in you? It's working faith. He's promised by hearing my word, faith comes. It's a very simple truth. And yet, going back to the children's story, what's the one thing we forget in the coming week? We often forget what we have heard. Prayer. 
Being steadfast in the Lord is being in prayer. And Paul comes to that in verses 9 and 10 about uh, praying and giving thanks to God. Prayer is often seen as the first response of faith. Prayer is ever a response of faith, especially when you find yourself in troubles and trials, when you find yourself afflicted, uh, when you find yourself being opposed and persecuted. Faith brings you to pray. The giving of everything over to the Lord, the dependency that we are called to exercise upon the Lord. We know those words of John 15. John 15, 5, Jesus says, without me you can do what? Nothing. You can't do anything without Christ. Now you might think, well, I believe in Christ, so I have Christ, he's in my life. But don't stop at that verse. Continue on. But if you abide in Christ and his words abide in you, what will you do? If you are abiding in Christ and his word abides in you, what will you do? John 15, 5. You will ask what you desire. And it will be done for you. You will pray. You will pray. And, and I think it's one of, those, one of those points that we miss as Christians when, again, trying to have a faithful ministry and trying to encourage you in your faith and your love and growing you up. As a pastor, I often come and I will ask you individually, how's your devotional life going? How are, how's your prayer life and things like that? And it's, well, it's, it's not too good. I'm trying, but uh, you know, I, don't, I don't seem to always find the time to do it. There's a sign that your faith is, is weak. There's the sign that your faith is small and needs nurturing. There's the sign that you're not in his word and his word is not in you. And you're trying to live your life of faith without Christ. That's the simple truth. And you see, here again is this importance of today and, and the importance of remembering the Sabbath day to keep it holy, where in the faithful ministry of God's word and in the faithful ministry of worship, you are being built up in that faith again where God's word is to abide in you and so Christ can abide in you and so that you will ask and you will find that as you're abiding in Christ with him, he does things for you. Not a, as, as we colloquially say, it's not rocket science. <laughs> it's just the simple, basic truth of the Christian life. And it all ties together, particularly with worship. Standing fast in the Lord. That's how we live <laughs> as God's people. And fellowship. I find the interaction of Paul with Thessalonica to be so deeply personal and, and, and encouraging. Verses 6 to 8, where he, where he talks about the mutual fellowship that Thessalonica has for Paul and Paul, Timothy, and Silas. 
had for them. And you, you see him bringing that out. You have a good remembrance of us, greatly desiring to see us. And we also to you. And we're, we're comforted concerning by your, uh, we're comforted concerning you by your faith. Paul is saying there's such a rich bond of fellowship that our faith and presence with each other is just building us up. Thomas Watson said of this, he says, if you associate with sanctified persons, they may by their counsel and prayers and holy example be a means to make you holy. And as the communion of saints is in our creeds, so it should be in our company. For he who walks with the wise shall also be wise. Proverbs 13, 20. It's not for nothing that we begin, we end this day in worship together as God's people. Because God's desire is for you in these simple means of grace to build you up together in faith and love in him and for one another. And the question that that meets us here is, where is my faith? And trust and hope in the Lord in these things. Am I, am I striving to stand fast in the Lord? Or am I actually walking in my own self-confidence? And with a faithful and meaningful ministry, you, you end with what Paul expresses in, in verses 9 and 10. And that is a, a joyful ministry. And we're going to see more of this next week. But he comes there. What thanks can we render to God for all the joy with which we rejoice for your sake before God? And what he's focused on here is not uh, on how Thessalonica made him feel necessarily and how he uh, has made Thessalonica feel uh, about one another. It's, it's how this Uh, has translated into an end where their heart and worship is directed in joy to God. I I hope you can see this tied together, but it comes comes to that place where, where joy fills our heart because in faith and love, we are looking to God to bring his blessing to one another. The end goal, you look at Psalm 100, verse 4. You may not know the reference, but I believe most of you know the words. It also has been put into a chorus. Enter into his gates with what? Thanksgiving. And into his courts with with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. For the Lord is good and his mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. And you see Paul saying that same thing. What thanks can we render to God for you? What a blessing it is to worship together in the presence of God in Christ. Especially as we live in a world where affliction and distress Face us all around. It describes our own nation today. Where do you find relief, dear Christian? 
from these next six days that you will spend in this world, where particularly in, in this current month, the immorality of the world around us is being paraded and cheered. Doesn't that wear you down? Doesn't that make you long in your hearts for a place where you can be in the presence of God, be delivered from this oppression? And that's where Paul is here rejoicing with Thessalonica because they, they have been steadfast and it brings life to the soul. Just to go back to the beginning, just as it brings life to a parent's soul that for all the distresses they've had in raising their children and all the discomforts they've experienced in their home, and someone comes and says, what a great job you did. Your children are so... Kind, so polite, so mature. How much more here for all the afflictions and distresses that we face to be able to come together into the glory of God and worship in his presence and experience his blessedness. We as sinners transformed in that mighty grace of God to live and to worship before God. The joy of Jesus alive within us. My friends, is that your heart? A faithful ministry is nurturing you in faith and love. A meaningful ministry is presenting you the word of God and calling you together in prayer before the Lord in those bonds of fellowship before our God where we can build one another up in love. Joyful ministry is worshiping together in the presence of our God in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's in these ways that we live Stand fast in the Lord. Does this describe you in your heart's desires? Call you to think on your life and faith in the Lord and what you are giving yourself over to. Is it in the Lord?